Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru. Welcome to this episode of Awake, the Life of Yogananda, the Minute by Minute podcast. Today, we are at minute number 43, and we have a special guest today. Today with us is Jay. Um, how are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Cool, cool. Let's, let's um, start with you and let's talk about yourself a little bit. Um, you were a devotee um, of disclosure, like we both met at Lake Shrine. Um, um, how did you find out about Guruji or how did you end up on the path? Yeah, good question. I found Yogananda through the documentary Awake on Netflix. Nice. That was, <laughs> that was the best, uh, you know, recommendation Netflix algorithm has given me. Um, <laughs> I was very hungry at that point in my life because I had immersed myself in a lot of desires of the world and was very unfulfilled. Um, and I saw the documentary and it really hit a mark on me. I was like, oh my gosh. But I was like, completely skeptical. I'm like, this guy, no way. Um, but there were a few lines uh, within the documentary around, you know, uh, look to the beam. I thought that was very powerful. Uh, it, it really hit me. Um, look to the beam. Uh, there's this child looking at uh, the light from the beginning of the camera in a movie theater for, for those as, as a visual reference. Um, and I looked up SRF and I couldn't find anything that was nearby. I was in New York City at the time. And I was like, they mail you lessons? I'm like, what? Like, I'm, I'm like traveling all over. It's like, this is like I, impractical for me. And their website seems like it's 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, come on. If this is like, uh, gotta realize so, it's like, you gotta, gotta keep up with the time. All right. So long story short, I came to, I came to Lake Shrine. Um, a year later, just through uh, a coincidence, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have an intention, and I found the Divine Romance, and it really spoke to me, and I couldn't stop reading it, um, and started doing the lessons, meditating, and then every area of my life was from like chaos, darkness, suffering, pain, to like renewal, hope, joy, groundedness, um, a sense of uh, peace. So it's been the bedrock uh, of, of my life, uh, this path, and I'm very grateful for Awake. And so this is, this is a special document. So this is a special podcast for me. Yeah. Fantastic. So a lot of people that have been on here, they, their experience was that they first um, um, encountered the, the written, the books by Yogananda, and then they watched the movie later. And we asked each of them how they how they found the the movie different is it a different tone a different vibe and now i can ask you the reverse like once you started reading the books by yogananda like like you said the divine romance or the autobiography how do you compare the way they are done and the, how they portray guruji did, and the the difference of tone did you find this a stark difference or did you find it fits in It is the trailer version of the past. So it's like, it gives you like a teaser into like, what are the mm. big um, ideas around like, you know, to find God in your spine, such a like, like uh, unconventional idea from, from masses um, of, of, of the mass ideas. 
um, to have the even understanding of what is the guru disciple relationship. Like I was not raised in this uh, from this background. I come from like an orthodox religious background from a different faith. So just that concept, I was like, what? It's like, and, but it made you know global sense in terms of all the different saints, like you know, in terms of the different relationships that. Uh, they have been with with guru and, and a disciple with jesus and his um immediate disciples at the time um i think that the the documentary did an excellent job at sparking curiosity mm. and that was for me like that that was its job um for other people it's like oh my gosh i found my i found my guru i found my path i've been looking uh but for me that's what it was it was just like strong push got to find out what is next nice i i really um like to hear a story like this because it um a lot of people they um they they um come to the path by reading the autobiography of a yogi i think i read a, a statistic once um or a monk told me that that the number one way people come to the path is the autobiography of a yogi the second way is through a friend and the third way is visiting lake shrine so I guess you, you got one of them, but this is old numbers. This is before the Awake movie came out. So maybe things have shifted nowadays and it's a bit different now. Um, yeah, so let's, let's get to the minute. The minute is um, we see Dr. Anita Goel again, um, who we've seen before and we've talked about her scientific background before. And she's a, a Harvard scientist she is um, working at, uh, I would say, at the crossroads of medicine and physics. And she wants to, to marry the two up. And she, she says in, in as part of uh, the movie, she says those two are different departments in Harvard and they don't talk to each other. And then she um, says that there, there is like promising um, results in there and she brings spirituality into the into the play and who has um, if you research into her a little bit there's like some really interesting technology that she talks about she would um, talk about for example nanotechnology that you can put um, into into the bloodstream to to help people with different diseases and I find I, f I find that very interesting. And one key word that she uses um, is Vedic philosophy. Vedic philosophy, of course, is um, something that our Guruji's path is in, on some way based on. Um, there are the six schools of Vedic philosophy. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna name them now. That there's they they're often in Guruji's books. If he mentions it, if you go through the glossary. They, they all six of them would be named there, called Sankhya, Yoga, Nyaya, Vaisesika, probably butchered that name, um, Mimamsa, and Vedanta. And um, I tried to research them in Guruji's books, and I noticed that he goes into detail with three of them, with Sankhya, with Yoga, and with Vedanta. The others, I had to re, uh, research more in um, Wikipedia and things, but they don't seem to um, play such a big role um, in, our, in our Guru's teachings. Um, and 
I found a I found a passage um, in the Second Coming of Christ where um, Guruji talks about it and where he tries to bring the three together. Um, do it. Do you for, first want to put up another point, Priyank, um, before we read this? Yeah. So with um, with Veda, with the Vedas, uh, the Vedantic or Vedic philosophy comes from the four or five Vedas uh, of which. Um, of which uh, vary in in their content, but it's they're they're like it's like overarching philosophy. So like it's not like you know you have the the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran. So you can like you know you know this is this is what you follow kind of thing. These are the prescriptions, etc. But with the Vedas and Vedic philosophy, it's like they're like overarching. Like it's almost uh, like Greek philosophy. Like you know, no one like says that they follow. A Greek philosophical religion, but you know the 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 principles of you know the Plato and Aristotle, the principles they come into our law, the morality nature of it. Everyone, no one, people don't know that they're following uh, Aristotle in, the, in his philosophy, but it's it's kind of embedded in our culture and our law. And similarly, the Vedas and those elements are kind of they kind of filter down to every branch of uh, of Indian society, really, and also. They influence heavily um, uh, lots of writers around the world, um, and we we know that because um, we well people that that study the Vedas know it um, because they can see the the similarities. Um, so yeah, so even though uh, Yogananda wouldn't quote them directly, it's the philosophies kind of filter down, and that's where they're from. So it's like uh, they're like ancient. So the Sanskrit. Um, so if you talk about Sanskrit being one of the oldest uh, languages um, and one of the most beautiful languages, you you actually talk about ve the Vedas. So and the the, the scriptural um, parts of the Vedas and the beautiful language and the beautiful philosophy. That's that's where you're um, kind of uh, coming from. Hope that's uh, clear. I was quite jumbled yeah. in my thoughts. Yeah, interesting, interesting um, summary, um, Chris. I, I just had a thought that sprung up um, listening to you guys there would be um, I, I was in conversation years ago with somebody that was saying, well, you know, Yogananda does go into a lot of detail in, in various aspects and, and some of the topics that we're talking about now. Um, but just a, a thought here that he was really focused on in a practical method of, of uh, spiritual pra uh, practice that there's there's so many other avenues and you know um, topics that you can delve into it's endless really uh, but he was laser focused on what it is that you can do to really better your life and you know lives of others through your practice um, and that's all credit to him you know and the simplicity of his message uh, because um, the person that I spoke to put a critique uh, to say that well you know he didn't cover some more complex or some more you know different ideas uh, in the autobiography or even in his teachings. Um, but my understanding is that, well, you could get lost <laughs> in, a, in a lot of teachings, um, whereas he had he had one message and, and really, really delivered that um, in a good way. So, uh, yeah, just just a passing thought that came up listening. Yeah, I, I can confirm that. Like when I tried researching Vedic philosophy, the first thing that came up is like, oh, yeah, there's those six books of or six schools of Vedic philosophy. And then I clicked into it and it's like, Actually, there's 15, and then and then I I found myself reading for like 45 minutes and found myself getting nowhere really. 
And then I, I zoomed out again and I was like, okay, I see what this is. And like you said, Chris, like Guruji followed, uh, he, he focused on the things that are important for us to know. And I'm sure those are all very important things. Like Priyank said, some of them are base, the basis for like the law system in India right now. And some other are like, I think one of them is about how to interpret scripture in general. And um, they're, they're all very important. And Guruji um, intentionally focused on the three that we mentioned earlier, Sankhya, Yoga, and Vedanta. Priyank? Yeah, that's right. I also forgot to mention that um, so Krishna, for example, would have um, quoted in his teachings or when he's speaking to various kings, etc. He would have quoted the Vedas. Mm-hmm. yeah without saying oh this is from the rigveda etc it's actually like you know this is spoke or like um recited knowledge kind of thing um so for example there's a very famous um quote which uh which indians and other people like to use and you might hear it in yoga classes which is lead lead me from untruth to truth now you may not think that that's any you know anything to do with Hinduism, but this comes from the Veda. So the 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 um the actual uh, Sanskrit is Asatoma Sadkamaya. And then there's three or four other um elements to that. So that so Krishna would have quoted that and he's quoting the Vedas. And similarly we Yogananda in his writings will say loads of philosophy and that's also from the Vedas. So we're like Hindus and Indians in general don't say, oh, they follow the Vedas, but it's just filtered through the whole system. But we do follow, for example, the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and so that's like something called a Puran. So that's about Krishna's life, basically, in his teachings. And so yeah, that's, that's a slight uh, difference. Interesting. So the Vedas are more like the ground, the <clears throat> kind of groundwork, the framework, everything is moving in. And they're being referenced by different gurus at different times. Mm-hmm. Very cool. There's a there's a text um, um, I took from the Second Coming of Christ, <clears throat> where Guruji talks about Sankhya, Yoga, and Vedanta, and how they three interplay. Um, but first, um, uh, Jay, uh, what, what do you think about the subject? Um, I like what Chris said about the simplicity when it comes to Yogananda's approach to taking what's necessary for God realization and then everything else like the mind and the intellect can get like so fascinated and intrigued by and inspired by but it's like a box that you can't get out of and it's just like you're just like jumping around in that intellectual inspiration block so I I think that's it's so um valuable to have the context of um create yoga and the focus um so i think i think that was that was that was, that was very insightful because because from the outside looking in raised uh, a muslim and being surrounded by hindus i would go and like try to understand what they were talking about and it's like you have wait you have hundreds of gods you have thousands <laughs> of gods i'm like you guys are so distracted and unfocused it's like it makes no sense from the outside looking in as like a young kid you know i was like oh one god very focused in Islam. It's like, um, so there's a, there's a lot of clarification uh, through Yogananda's teachings on, on everything. And it's so surprising that he like doesn't 
I haven't come across uh, writings around Vishnu or you know the different cycles and yugas. It's just very practical and, uh, for the present moment. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when <clears throat> when I grew up um, in school, we had um, a class called religion, which in other countries would be really weird, but in Austria, everything's possible. <laughs> So we, we do have this. <laughs> and, um, and we talked about other religions to give them credit. So it was, I, I would say, 95% about Catholic Christianity and 5% about other stuff. Yeah, and and um, when we talked about um, Hinduism, it was portrayed to us as a, a polytheistic religion, which means they don't have one God, they have many gods. And like, like Jay said, this is what it looks like from the outside, unless you have some context. Um, and I, the, the way Guruji explains Hinduism, it makes complete sense to me. Without him, it might not have. Um, so I'm, I completely agree with this. Um, Chris, uh, do you mind reading, reading this section from the Second Coming of Christ in the, in the Vedic philosophy card? Uh, yeah, uh, just need to bring it up. Sorry, not not prepared. Uh, under the what is Vedic philosophy? Yeah, and the second coming of Christ. Um, sure, the Sankhya, Yoga, and Vedanta, mm -hmm. uh, three comprehensive philosophies of India, uh, are pragmatic and meant directly to discipline human activity so that it will yield the highest wisdom and financial uh, final emancipation. The Sankhya philosophy teaches that the cardinal necessity of man consists in destroying the roots of the threefold suffering of body, mind and soul, so that there is no possibility of recurrence. It describes the spiritual cosmology of creation and man's place in the divine schema. Yoga is the science of the step-by-step -step methods of progressive self-realization that lead directly to God. According to the highest Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, yoga is the supreme way for it is science, the science of salvation. Vedanta is the doctrine of the ultimate it describes the goal of God-realization and the singularity of spirit, of the one in the, in the many, and the many as not else than the one. Yoga provides the technique by which the ultimate goal is realized. Vedanta describes the context, contents of the mind of divine wisdom. Yoga is the way to mine that knowledge for human use. In the combined religious experiences of these three philosophies, humanity will find the highest standard of right living that alone can produce ideal citizens of the world and of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> Priya? Yeah, I absolutely love that saying, that statement where yoga is the way to mine that knowledge for human use. So, that also that almost implies that scripture is pretty irrelevant if you're practicing yoga, because if you're practicing it, um, then you'll you know you you can download that knowledge without any other external um, you know Wi-Fi required. <laughs> but in but the, 
it's true because you know Yogananda and others they they say aren't you know ask all your questions and have them answered in your meditation <laughs> if you have questions meditate deeper and the answers in some form will come to you and that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll come to you through like a drop you know out of the heavens into your mind but uh, you know during your day something may happen and that has happened on many occasions and then that query or that question has been answered and then and then you got you have that clarity then you can move on to the next question <laughs> and the next answer that you'll seek in in meditation nice yeah for some people those answers take longer to come than for others i'm guessing <laughs> yeah chris yeah, we, we sort of touched on this in the last uh, minute uh, when we talked about, you know, supernatural, um, yeah, supernatural occurrences and abilities. Um, and we, we looked at the intuition and, you know, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's uh, take on intuition is that it was supreme to, to even reason. Um, and I suppose in the Western uh, uh, yeah, civilization that we live in, reason is, is uh, be all end all. So, um, that does fly in the face of conventional wisdom, uh, but uh, through intuition, we we have access, as you know, Priyank says, you know, have access to to uh, to, to to God uh, and to, to to oneness, you know, cosmic intelligence. Um, and uh, I, I suppose it, it it is built through practice of yoga, through synchronizing oneself. Um, uh, yeah, as as Priyank said, but yeah, we we touched on that in in the last minute. So if you're interested in didn't, want to hear more on that and didn't listen to it <laughs> go listen is that the one yeah. that you you hosted chris perhaps you want to <laughs> up, up your ratings don't you it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah shameless <laughs> yeah it's a it's a bit of a hierarchy that they put down there i would still say in case you don't have the divine intuition telling you what you need to know you can still I don't know, look at scripture, look at the lessons. So I, it's just, if you have the divine intuition, of course, you don't need any scripture anymore, right? <laughs> you can like Priyank described it. No, no, no. It, it. <laughs> I just meant like maybe one question out of a million has been answered that way. <laughs> and that's why we're like, oh, like Priyank, why is all your uh, spiritual <laughs> collecting dust in your house? <laughs> like, no, I have intuition. Don't worry about it. I, I've, never read, I've, never, I've never read I've never read it I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. Uh, Brother Sachinanda at, at Lake Shrine, uh, you know, he taught me this amazing um, uh, technique. He also shared it at Convocation, I believe, that like, after your meditation, it's your golden primetime hour and trust yourself with what comes through with your intuition and make uh, small actionable steps to like actually develop and hone in so you can like have a calibrated sense of like, this is the voice and recognizing that that voice and like working in the world with it just gives it more uh, it becomes louder in terms of and just can become a natural way of life and that's a very hopeful perspective versus it being just like ethereal thing you know that you may not be able to tap into um yeah yeah that's beautiful that's the the way to develop intuition and trusting it this is like part of the path that we're on right it's very good 
Um, so let's um, uh, move on from the Vedic philosophy. So, so our takeaway is Sankhya describes why we need to unite with God. Yoga gives us the methods how to find God. And Vedanta describes once we found God, what we will find, right? I think this is like a, a nice short summary. Let's go back to Anita Goel. Um, so she is um, at, at Harvard. And of course, um, so we, we all watched that minute. We saw little things, but of course, Priyank found a little detail. He <laughs> found a plaque on the wall where it says the Harvard uh, Faculty Club. Um, and then it says something like members only or underneath it or something. <laughs> members, and, members and guests. Members and guests, yes. And and then I I clicked on the on the website of the Howard Faculty Club and I was like, oh my god, I'm back in England. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is why you left, isn't it? This is not you, snooty. <laughs> you know, beautifully varnished furniture. Yes. <laughs> No, no, I think at, that's where at four o'clock they probably have tea time. <laughs> yeah. This is where I think in this exclusive, not exclusive, it's just uh, it's just a club at Harvard that uh, all the employees and the guests go to. I think this is where a lot of this minute was filmed. You know, where she's sitting in like plush, you know, rooms and has beautiful desks and um, yeah, just uh, working away at her, on her scientific papers and things like that. But yeah, remember if you want to know more about Anita Goel. You will go back to minute 18 where we discuss her life and her research in significantly perhaps more detail than we than Mike may cover today. Yeah, she she her testimony and her presence for me was like total standout in terms of the the consideration that this is actually not just woo-woo. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an actual Harvard scientist and she's saying something so profound that physics and biology, those departments never talk to each other. And I've, I've spent some time in science and I'm like, yes, that's totally true. It's like, this is like pervasive in science. Um, and her, her elegance in describing, um, you could see like she's speaking from her own transformed experience. At least that's what I, I assume. Um, but I'm, I, I assume also that like, she's been a powerful force for other people to get over that skeptical hunch to be a little more interested uh, so she she played a great role yeah absolutely and we do need um scientists that see everything in a more holistic way and i feel like bringing different sciences together this is probably not easy i'm guessing especially physics and medicine they come from totally different um, um parts like the like medicine is all about the, the human body measuring health and then medicine that we created over the years and trying it, throwing the pill in, see what happens. And um, physics is a lot more about the, um, like discovering our universe and also technology. And bringing technology more into, into medicine is something that will, that will definitely happen. And we like we did that in in earlier episodes. Um, there's also this um, this guy. What was his name? I think Newman, right? And Andrew Dr. Andrew Newman. Andrew Newman, who who measured the brain waves during meditation, which I loved, uh, fantastic. Um, so I'm I'm pretty sure in the Dwapara Yuga we will make a lot of use 
of technology to improve people's health and measure it. And I'm sure this will be <clears throat> to everyone's benefit. Can't wait for it, actually. There's, there's actually one funny thing. Like I found like a short um, YouTube video about Anita Goel, where she talks about building a tricorder. And now all the Trekkie fans raise their hands. No, okay. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> then in Star Trek, a tricorder is like something that everyone always carries with them and they, they use it to analyze things. So they stand in front of a rock and they analyze it and they stand in front of another person. And she said to build something like this and see if another person has any kind of, and she met, funny enough, she, met, she mentions viruses and this was way before COVID. So she, she, she talked about the danger of a global pandemic and said how a tricorder device would make this so much easier than doing a blood test every time. So ahead of her time. We kind of have that almost with uh, your little handheld temperature device checks. You know, yes, scan when you go into a building sometimes. Uh, yeah, taking small steps towards achieving so, that tricky future. <laughs> yeah. More power to them, yes. I'm, is, I'm, is, I'm, is live long and prosper a different one? That is, that is, uh, no, this is live long and prosper. This is the Vulcan greeting. Uh, okay. Very Which, well, actually, it's a Jewish, old Jewish uh, symbol that the Jewish uh, ministers and priests used to do. Ah, is that right? The sign of the uh, ram, the ram. For, for YouTube listeners, they're making like some sort of fake V with their hand, <laughs> some sort of yeah. Star Trek geeky thing that they're doing. Yeah. It's, a, it's a proper religious uh, symbol. Quite, oh, okay, sorry. Not quite, geeky, yeah. it's religious. Yeah, stop, stop mocking it, Priyank. It's <laughs> exactly. very significant. Yes. I thought, I thought you were talking about it's Star Trek, the, the, religion, the religion of Star Trekism. It's also it's also it's it's also very sanitary. You're not spreading your germs like this. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Way ahead of its time again. Um, so let's let's move on um, to another question that she raises, um, and it's about unity in nature. What does what does the all-encompassing unity in nature mean? And um, we found a section in Man's Eternal Quest where Guruji talks about this. Do you mind reading this, Priyank? Sure. Through the unity of God, sorry, though the unity of God is reflected in everything, it appears diversified in cosmic nature. His creative life flows throughout the earth. Put a seed in the ground and it begins to grow. Metals express a certain power and beauty of God. In the vegetable kingdom, he changes his personality again. The active expression of life is more visible in plants. Still, a study of creation reveals that every metal, every plant, every animal has a distinctive personality. And in man, we find an even more expanded individuality. For man knows that he, he is a living, conscious being. But all these different personalities have been borrowed from God. He is the only life. O Arjuna, I am the self in the heart of all creatures. I am their origin, existence, and finality. Thus, the Lord describes himself in the Gita. And in the Bible, we read his declaration. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. 
Very nice. Yeah, and this this kind of gives it a different. I feel like this makes um, this unites all sciences, in my opinion. This is like helpful if you if you think about unity in nature or or unity in because science in my opinion is you you basically go out and you explore this creation right and you explore it in different kind of ways and what guruji is saying here no matter if you are like a botanist or a geologist or a physicist you will always discover god a different aspect of him right and a different um personality i like how he put the word personality in there like a different metal is a different aspect of him and maybe two of the same metals even if you look at them are not 100 the same there's always like a slight difference in everything they all come from him but they are all um they're all not exactly the same and have a personality chris i i am um... Whenever I hear, you know, unity with nature and the concepts of, you know, we're all one and you know things like this, it, it kind of dawns on me like, well, what else are we? Like logically, it it just breaks down, doesn't it, immediately? Because how how can we how can we be separate from anything if we're all part of the same creation? You know, it it, it does like we we can see ourselves as separate from this table a table or you know a tree or something. But it's all a matter of perspective or, you know, you can zoom out and everything's, you know, on the size of a pinhead kind of thing. You know, everything's different depending on where you can see it from, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it, it just strikes me as people maybe who might not think that we're one with nature or we're one with everything. Um, uh, it seems kind of strange to me because, you know, what, what else do you, you know, it's kind of like the fish swimming in the sea uh analogy um and not not noticing the water or something <laughs> so, you know um what else do you think like you're a part of um so yeah logically it kind of breaks down in a way i think yeah that it doesn't seem like it right that we are all the same because we are so into the illusion, this illusion. illusion. yeah yes and then hopefully one day we will all wake up and see oh i see that's how it is Mm -hmm. um yeah. very very good point um Priyank threw an interesting question in there which is like uh to to all of us i guess which is like which field is closer to understanding consciousness and i'm 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 assuming you mean medicine or physics is that correct three things actually i thought i'd add in your field mike do you want to show everyone your t-shirt computer science data, data science. science yeah data science because i think oh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think data science is very close to knowing. <laughs> in terms of, um, well, in terms of, uh, you know, AI and um, just general intelligence, uh, that is probably closer than anything that we've achieved in physics, maths, biology, psychology, medicine, um, uh, uh, you know, something, or even, even, the, even, even though we haven't perfected it, right, the, the idea is, is there to create it. And it's, so we're making slow but steady progress in different uh, ways in, in, in that. I think computer science is the closest um, way, is the closest field in our 
in our um, you know for all the different branches of knowledge in under not in understanding but perhaps recreating consciousness but because have you have we have we uh, can we possibly say we've recreated consciousness in any biology type thing <laughs> i see what you're saying I, i'm not sure if i agree like for me artificial intelligence is more like a buzzword that they throw in there that doesn't really mean that it's that it's more like a poster word i feel like you instead of artificial intelligence you could just call it managed statistics and it would describe <laughs> it much better isn't that a data science element <laughs> <laughs> yeah um like one thing we definitely know is that computers aren't sentient, right? So they don't know that they are a computer. And that's like, I feel like a big part of, of consciousness. Um, but you're right. I feel like in, the, in, in physics and in medicine, we also don't really know much about consciousness, but at least I think in medicine, we at least try to understand what it is. We, do, we don't give it the high the high importance that it's supposed to have, in my opinion. Um, and we, we, we have a materialistic view and we think it sits somewhere in the brain rather than the brain is a connection to a, a higher version of ourselves. But I, I would say if there is a field that is close to that, then maybe medicine. Chris? Uh, I, I think pr probably one uh, field that people would know uh, a lot about because it's usually in the news is physics and physics uh, really would have discovered what they call the god particle yeah and that mm -hmm. was something that was used you know to try to grab people's attention right but it it really did grab people's attention yeah so it really did get that traction um, that they desired uh, you know the the idea that physics might be able to reveal the nature of the beginning of the universe or universes through, you know, what we call the big bang um, and things like this, you know, you could argue that in itself is going to the core of, of life, of creation, uh, of looking at, you know, the, the, the idea of the atom and uh, things like this, which um, yeah, uh, it, it is what Guruji actually talks about looking at the particle, like part, life at the particle level um, and energetic level. I suppose physics might go some way to tackling it. Even um, even if it does, like uh, that God particle, you're talking about the Higgs boson. Sure, yeah. I imagine it, it, the, uh, um, the, um, yeah, yeah. the God particle. Uh, but they, even that was just a particle that they hadn't, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to detect to prove that some of their theories were correct. Um, mm. uh, I'd actually tried to apply for CERN, but I didn't get in. My, my, yeah. my head wasn't, ah. uh, I wasn't mm. clever enough. Maybe I wasn't from, you know, didn't speak French, perhaps they didn't. Speak <laughs> um, no, but um, in, in, because even, so say we, we detect all the particles that we need for creating these physical models, um, we may even recreate what the universe, how the universe was created and understand it, all of it in mathematical terms and some, some physical terms. That will still not lead us any closer to Anita Goel's how do we, you know, we're not getting any closer to defining and understanding consciousness. I agree. Because um, I think one element that you can say that they're making some progress in biology is, is cloning, I suppose. I'm going to say that, yeah, with the sheep. 
But even that, all you're doing is creating a body that's capable of of yeah. being conscious. How does that well, if, help if you? Cr- if you created a, a, a clone of a human, would there be a soul? And if no soul, is there? Yeah, well, that, that, that's, that's the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah. That's the crux. Creating the body is just one small element. In fact, that's probably the easy part. But anyway, Jay's got, Jay's got some uh, interesting... Yeah. Uh, input. I think the perspective of Anita Goel to find, like when she said uh, in her TED talk that when she was a young girl meditating in nature and, and then going to her father and in the surgeon, uh, as, as a surgeon understanding um, that these are two different worlds, but is there an underlying unity? She just had like an intuitional conviction that she's been curious. And it's, it's an inspiring perspective because, you know, as in our current state of, you know, and in the process of, of awakening, you can look at a tree and you, can, you may look like a, at a rock or, you know, you may not feel connected to it, but if you see uh, or if you have the appreciation of the thought that, oh, this is God's expression and this is the, the heart that where this is coming from is something that um, is, um, is, is this unique personality of this one personality. So for me, at least, it, it, it inspires me to develop um, a level of like friendship with God in the diverse expressions, be it through, um, uh, any, and it could be just reading uh, an inspiring uh, primer on uh like nanophysics in terms of like how it could be commercialized and like oh my gosh this is it inspires wonder it's like how are you doing this <laughs> like how are you constantly shape-shifting um so I, I found I find that perspective of, of Anita quite inspiring to like taking to heart to um look for God's diverse expressions and feel like as a monk once said he feels universal intimacy wherever he goes and I think that, oh, wow, that's something that we all kind of in, in, innately crave to feel like a level of intimacy wherever we go. So I think I thought, I thought it was very beautiful. Very nice. This is like um, something that Brother Satyananda said the other day on the weekend. He said one way, I'm, I'm probably going to misrepresent it completely now, but he was <laughs> talking about opening his heart and using his heart and and uh, connecting nature. And one of the, like, if you know Brother Satyananda's talks, he always gives you a homework. And our homework this time was, next time you go up to a flower, you smell it, you try to feel inside with your heart and feel this moment and feel, I don't think he said feel the connectedness, but I'm just gonna add this now myself. And I feel like this is um, one, one, of the, one of the ways we can, like Jay said, um, kind of, um, feel the creator in in different ways totally yeah in, in the talk he said the first step was to recognize that feeling that you have mm-hmm. when, you, when you see that puppy looking into your eyes or, or that flower just like charming your heart that is god's love mm-hmm. and that's right there like that's that is the creator so if the more you capture that those moments it can kind of build up this energy and you can take it with you um and it's it's a skill and a practice <laughs> we're, we're, we're speaking from from inspiration not 
Uh, I'm speaking for inspiration, not from total practice yet. Nice. Priyanka? Uh, hearing you and Jay speak about your lovely experiences with Brother Satyananda, I would probably add a fourth, um, fourth uh, field that's closer to understanding consciousness, and that's probably your yoga and meditation. <laughs> because uh, for all of our dry you know science and you know freud and six year psychology books and ai and all that rubbish what's what's more pleasing and more um more relatable and more um beneficial for your growth it's all this all the stuff that jay and you guys just said right it's just um it's all there yeah there's a story uh Again, correct me, guys, if, if you know this, but um, there were wise men talking, I think it was to Krishna, and uh, they were asking, you know, every every question under the sun, like, you know, why is this the case? Why is that the case? And, you know, the universal bodies, why, you know, what's going on there? And, he, and Krishna got bored and just held up five, you know, well, four fingers and a thumb, uh, five fingers, uh, and said, you know, the cosmos life is a play of five elements and these elements you know create everything no demand you know and, and is in existence um but uh you know you you might say that he came to terms with that uh and was able to understand the very nature of the universe and and, and creation itself through yoga practice and didn't require this reasoning and you know this intellectual um you know uh, study potentially um, instead was able to use his intuition maybe garnered through yoga uh, to really understand the nature of, of creation itself uh, and was able to wow these wise men um, into into humility humility i think as the story goes but yeah yoga is the science of yoga yes that makes sense that's what we said in the beginning right that the intuitive understanding is as a higher rank than like all the the intellectual discussions we can have and mm. intellectual yeah. understanding of of the of the universe. Yeah. yeah. So Sri Yukteswar, when he <laughs> resurrected the resurrection of Sri Yukteswar, um, he not only did he understand everything there is to know in physics and biology in terms of recreating reorganizing the atoms and everything to create his true material form in front of Yogananda or little, little Swami Yogananda back then. Um, he also then imbued his consciousness, his own personal consciousness and his own spirit into that form. So he has, would, you would say that in that yoga in, and in, in Sri Yukteswar's understanding, he has complete understanding of consciousness. Yeah myself as well like if you're able to build up human body like that's it's, yeah it's absolute mastery isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah that that chapter by the way is that's my favorite chapter in the autobiography when he especially when he describes the astral plane it's fantastic yeah. um yeah let's let's move on from this because i feel like this is a field this is something we could talk about a lot and i want to um at this point also ask the listeners that you could add comments what kind of um scientific field do you feel is closest to to figuring out what consciousness is and coming close to it because that's an interesting debate 
Um, the next point we have is we, we saw a picture of um, um, Anita Goel's lab and it looked quite interesting. There were like a lot of um, microscopes in there and different kind of things. Um, I want, I'm, I'm not really sure what, um, what those machines were, but it looked very, very sophisticated, very Harvard smart people using the stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, remember if you, uh, Chris, Chris did a beautiful job of defining that hypermelose, whatever it was, um, enzyme thing. Um, she's, she's remember she was reading and writing enzyme DNA strands. So these mm -hmm. are probably her instruments for doing that. And I remember when I was at school and university, I, I used to get so excited with instrumentation all um, set up in this way. <laughs> this is why I went into engineering. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely understand. I mean, this, this makes me want to work at this lab. This, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, re I'm really, really interested in this. Um, and then the, la the last point that she also mentions is um, Guruji saw a need to bring together the wisdom of the East and the scientific material understanding of the West, right? And she mentions this. And so um, in, in this last uh, card, I found, or we found um, some, some readings from Man's Eternal Quest, and I'm gonna read um, the first one of them. And it says, science and religion should go hand in hand. All the results of scientific investigation are definite and are connected by reason. Whereas religion is often dogmatic. When Jesus urged his disciples to have faith, he didn't mean blind belief. It breaks my heart when I see blind dogmatism for it is um, one reason why the, why the majority of people have no real interest in God. Although there are nevertheless many who are interested in God, real seekers are few because hardly anyone tries to understand his way out of this dream drama. Few of his children appreciate the gifts of the heavenly father. And of those who do, fewer still try deeply or scientifically enough to know him. Those who want to seek him earnestly should learn how to do so scientifically. I feel like there's a lot of a lot to unpack here in just this one paragraph. There's obviously the criticism of dogmatism, which in our age now doesn't really work anymore because we are people, we are we have become scientists, explorers. If we want to believe something, we need to try it out. And at the same time, he says we should look for God, um, which we associate with religion, we should look for him in a scientific way, which means we do our own experiments and see if they work or not. And this is one of the things that really always drew me to Guruji's path, that he doesn't tell you, you, have, you this, this, and this is correct, and that's it. He says, do this, do this, do this, try it out and see for yourself. And this is something, this is like, the message for this age in my opinion chris i know we talked about it in previous minutes i think that you know minute 16 the western philosopher uh minute where we talked about god being dead and you know there, there was um you know yeah. lots going on in um uh, the 20th century there but he was good was ahead of his time wasn't he you know he was able to 
um, say, you know, look, essentially you're going to lose your following unless you really uh, be, be more pure in your teaching. Uh, and today we see that is rife, you know, um, not atheism, but ag people who are agnostic and um, the, the idea that the um, religious communities have broken down in the Western world and people are looking for reason and there's anxiety and there's people are ridden with mental um, health issues. You know, we've talked about it in previous minutes. Um, and, you know, I actually, hearing you read that actually put a tear in my eye because, uh, you know, how many people do get put off by the dogmatism of religion and fail then to see the truth behind it and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the core teachings um, and the suffering that that causes. Uh, so Guruji, you know, fair play to him for being able to see that essentially and, and calling it out for, for what, uh, what it was at the time uh, in, in the Western world uh, and probably spoke directly to people who had felt that back in 1920s, 30s, 40s. Uh, and it, it's just one of the many things that ages very well in Guruji's teachings. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Like you said, it ages well, because I feel like there's still a lot of people today who aren't happy with the dogmatism in religion. And it kind of puts them off completely from their search for God, which of course, it's not it's not the right way out either um and then unless you have a path like his path it's very difficult to make sense of it all right so in my in my opinion if i wouldn't have found guruji i would probably be struggling somewhere i would be like seeking trying out different things and yeah hard to know hard to know it's all theoretical nice yeah, the, okay. the, yeah. The, the, the contrast of dogmatism is like God in this traditional sense, at least my experience when I was, when I was younger, is quite boring. It's like, it's, just, it's, it's a, a lot of like simple concepts. And it's like, you, you have faith, you do the protocols of the rituals, your heart is checked out. You're not even, no one's even asking to sort of like pull in your heartstrings to uh, put it at the altar. And the, in the contrast with Guruji, it's like a full-on engagement of everything. Like, don't, don't leave behind um, your reason, your creativity. All these things are valuable faculties, and it, it gives it its place. Obviously, you know, you have to humble your reason towards intuition and all these, uh, like, all your faculties. Um, the, no one's the uh, sort of ultimate judge within your decision-making, within your intuition. At least that's the, that's the prescription. Um, I think the contrast that like God can be this adventure and then there's like unifying harmony of like life systems that we're like living in is like a fascinating notion. It's like, it's actually, it's like the divine adventure is like says, I think in one of the passages, it's more thrilling than one of the greatest safaris in the jungle. I, I paraphrase it. And I feel like that's like an inspiring notion. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I really like the, the way that Guruji, he gives, he gives you a path where you can go all in on God, but still do your duties in the world. He doesn't tell you you have to be a renunciant, go to a cave. He says you play your part in the world and you play your part in finding God and they go hand in hand and you have to find this kind of balance in your life. Chris? 
Yeah, uh, you, you did say that there's a lot to unpack in this, uh, and we could probably talk about this for 30 minutes, 60 minutes very, very easily. Um, uh, but it is quite a hard-hitting um, message here in, in some sense. Uh, but, you know, Guruji's way, it's very, very hard-hitting, but delicately uh, worded. worded. You know, he says, uh, although there are nevertheless many who are interested in God, real seekers of few. Um, what listening to, to you guys there talk about you know dogmatism in, in, in religion and people turned away from it, uh, maybe not having their hearts involved, doesn't that speak to the intuition that we all have to say there's something maybe not right in some of the dog, dogmatic ways of certain religions and there's some teachings that don't quite sit with us because ultimately we maybe know the truth in, intuitively, but as Guruji then says, you know, there, there are many who um, don't, you know, really try to understand the way out of this drama, this dogmatism that were, you know, are applied to us. Um, but then he follows up beautif beautifully with saying, hey, there's a scientific approach to this. You know, there's, there's a tried and tested true method that we can actually put into practice. As you said, it's very practical. So he kind of hits it with a one, two, three <laughs> kind of uh, message there, doesn't he? of truth uh, it's it's such a great little passage yeah yeah exactly and it's like you said it's it's practical and it kind of works with the with our modern lives so i feel like if this if this wasn't there someone would have to invent it because guruji says at some point that we are a world that thirsts for god and we don't even know it so i feel like there will be more of more of this in the future, where more devotees and more people striving to find God, because we suffer from all kinds of psychological problems, loneliness, and so on, right? And the only cure, the only thing that's not a placebo is actually contact with God. All right, I think we covered this minute pretty well. Um, uh, do you guys have anything more to add? Um, if not, then I would say um, thank you, Jay, for coming on this episode. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. And Jay Guru, everybody. Jay Guru. Jay Guru.